Hey everyone, Eric Watson here, and this is the recorded audio of a DM-only live stream in which I prepare for our next live session and chat with fans each week at my Rogue Watson YouTube channel. Please note that these streams are full of DM spoilers. This was not originally intended for an audio-only format, but has been converted to a podcast for your convenience. The channel and by extension this podcast are supported by Patreon. If you'd like to support my work, you can do so at patreon.com slash roguewatson. Enjoy the show. Aficionado, welcome to my weekly behind-the-scenes DM-only live stream, Rafting Icewind Dale, in which I build, write, and prepare for our next session of Rhyme of the Frost Maiden. If you are playing characters of Valrobin, Frey, Celeste, Edmund, or Thimbleweed, this video is not meant for you. This is the wrong day. See you tomorrow. But for the rest of you, welcome. There will be spoilers for our campaign. We stream our D&D sessions alive on YouTube every Friday evening. Watch all of our D&D live series as well as reviews and Let's Plays on my YouTube channel. Read weekly session recaps at roguewanson.com. You can follow me on Twitter at roguewanson. Join our official Discord server with invite link in the description below. If you'd like to support the channel, please check out patreon.com slash roguewatson. Shoutouts to new patrons this week. Alex, thank you for your support. For our campaign, user roll 20net for streaming on his open broadcaster software with Streamlabs. I've missed you all. I missed you all so much. I missed D&D. I had a fun holiday weekend, July 4th. First real, like, like leaving the house vacation in two years, which was nice. (laughs) Uh, And also celebrating my youngest uh, daughter's birthday. She turned one years old on Monday. Holy crap. A year ago, we were wrapping up our Tomb of Annihilation campaign. And I thought I had, like, synced it up just right where we would be able to finish the campaign and then go to the hospital and have a baby. And, unfortunately, it became two and a half weeks early, so things got accelerated a little bit. Those were exciting times. Exciting times. But now we are in uh, the next campaign, right with the Frostmaiden, Session 9. And I'm excited to jump into our next prep. Hello, Stan, Garchomp, Pedleg, Smitty, Nathan... Jerry, Jason, good to see all of you. Everyone is doing well. Yes, happy birthday to the little ones. All the little ones out there. So last time we completed Mountain Climb uh, by going a little bit longer because... And for those of you that are watching us after the fact, yes, we were we were not doing D&D last week, so it has technically been uh, two weeks since we ran D&D. And I really wanted to make sure to finish Mountain Climb, which means we got, we went, we ran a little bit longer, but we got the little story bit that I wanted to get done, which is meeting, which is getting to the summit, getting that kind of cutscene with Dazan uh, from Asterix, like Wraith thing, uh, and then really wrapping things up from there. So before we uh, ended, I made sure to ask the players, where are you going to go next? Because... At this point, obviously, from years and years of playing, I know my players, and 
generally they're just going to follow the quest that I give them. You know, they're not going to do a whole bunch of, like, we're going to fuck off in some other town and do whatever we want. That's not the kind of group that I have, thankfully, because we play on Roll20 and obviously it'd be hard to come up with shit like that on the fly. Um, so essentially that's why I throw them a bunch of quests and they take those quests and go run with them. And typically they do what we all do in open world video games, which is you look at your map and you say, okay, where, what's the near, well, what's the next place I can go? It's what's, what's the next place with content. And, uh, if you checked the map, which I had reminded them about, including their, uh, which this landing plate landing page has been very useful in terms of keeping track uh, visually of their quests and the relevant information. Like it's one thing to include the journal stuff in or the quest stuff in the journal itself in roll 20, which we've used in the past since like, gosh, all the way back when we first started doing roll 20, I think um, that's been very nice to have these little quest markers that I create. But this landing page is a new first thing for our campaign. And it has been very helpful for me as a DM and for the players to really keep track uh, just so they can look at this page and not have to dig through the journal to look for stuff and be able to see, okay, where do we have things? And one of the things was under rumors and leads was to check on Trovis, the speaker of Kerkonic, which was just my way of saying, hey, maybe go to Kerkonic at some point because there's maybe some content there. And in this case, what the players don't know is that this is like the main quest thread, which is very interesting the way uh, Rhyme of the Frost Maiden is set up. You know, you've got the three stories, uh, the three different acts, and act one is basically all about the Dwargar. Uh, who are creating this essentially mobile weapon of mass destruction to destroy 10 towns, which is pretty cool. But what's funny is there's no... Uh, the the beginnings of that is basically through this quest uh, called the Unseen in Kerkonig. And it is a critically important quest. Like, if you are running around with the Frostman, you basically have to run this quest because it leads... It starts the quest chain that ends up at Sunblight, which is uh, Chapter 3, and then that leads to the culmination of this entire first act storyline which is the Charlotte and dragon descending upon 10 towns which is all very very cool no i don't use photoshop oh my goodness i as much as i love streaming and talking <laughs> i do not like photo editing at all um i also really don't like video editing which is why all of my reviews and things are one take um but no i, I created this in roll 20 uh, i actually purchased this from uh, a marketplace purchase called Vile Tiles colon Tabletops on the Roll20 Marketplace. And it includes all of these cool assets, uh, including the table backgrounds, um, you know, all this little art. And essentially, these are just empty blank parchments that I then use Roll20's like rudimentary uh, text editor and put text right in there. So all of this is through Roll20. I can sit here and click on things and move stuff around if I want to. Um, it is not photoshopped at all and this is just a you know image that i've got that i can move around so it's yeah <laughs> um but a good question good question yes asking the players where you're going next week is super helpful pretty much have to do that for me because on roll 20 and obviously with crafting like i need to be able to prep what they're gonna face next and you don't have to do that every week because like you know with mountain climb they were there for three sessions i think so obviously i know what's gonna happen next i just keep prepping that area so it only comes up when you complete one quest or one area and then you know, decide what you want to do next. Basically, what's the next quest you want to tackle? And what it, it gets interesting, which we almost ran into when we went from Tourmaline to Kelvin's Cairn, is when the DM throws story seeds at the players and the players suddenly decide, oh, maybe we'll go do that one instead of this one. Which means as the DM, you have to be careful about if I throw them this story seed, I have to be prepared to actually run it in case the players do shift lanes 
and go there, which I was not prepared for them to be excited about checking out the Dwarven Valley. I basically created a random encounter that was supposed to tease uh, the Shardle and the Black Ice, and the players were like, oh, let's go to the Dwarven Valley and check it out. And I was like, oh, shit. Now, I, I made it down to, this was a couple, a couple sessions ago, obviously, and we put it down to a single die roll, and had they succeeded, then they would have gone there instead of Mountain Climb, and maybe I'd, I'd constructed a whole quest to do in the Dwarven Valley. I'm still keeping that in my back pocket because they were interested in you know, knowing that information that, oh, the dwarves found, you know, black ice and that might be corrupting them or something. So maybe further on, I'll have like a dwarf show up and say, oh shit, you need to come and, and help us out. We're, we're getting, you know, killed here by our own people because they're being corrupted. Um, that's still something I could introduce. I really don't feel the need, you know, like a lot of adventures, they could definitely use some extra content thrown in there to bolster it up. But this, this first act is so full of stuff for players to do that I didn't, Feel the need to add any of that now if i could add that to the second act somehow um and and make it go a little bit longer then that might be a better idea because act two could certainly use lengthening but in terms of act one they've just got so much stuff to do i mean Karakonig is going to introduce the unseen which we're going to cover here care deneval is going to have the uh those cultists which i'm going to have to redesign quite a bit because that area is uh i'm not using the devil angle at all and as written, it's not even really a combat dungeon, so you really got to be, I don't know, you got to treat that one very differently depending on how the players want to treat it. And then East Haven has the East Haven Ferry and possibly the Town Hall, which I would like to turn that into a series of events and more, you know, actionable stuff for the players to do. Obviously, we still have the Mead Must Flow at Good Mead could be something they could do. All of these are Act 1 things because they're still doing stuff around 10 towns. We're not even leaving the area. I mean, Mountain Climb is a little unique because technically we did leave 10 towns, but we're going to be right back in there. And it's still considered an Act 1 quest. Um, and then throughout all of that, really, Karakonig plus East Haven will probably lead them to Sunblight. Now, I wouldn't mind introducing the Goblin area, the Karkaloak, um, as a means to say... To remind the players, hey, you can travel over land for quite a while, but it is dangerous... Um, without mounts, basically, uh, when you go pretty far. Like, I let them get to Kelvin's Cairn, you know, that's, that's, a, that's 10 miles or something. Um, but if I'm going to put Sunblight out there a little bit further and, you know, Korkaloak out there further, then I might have, um, you know, Speaker Duvesta Shane try and contact the players and say, hey, basically as a means to say, I'd like you to do, like, one more quest before Sunblight, basically. Not necessarily that they are forced to do that, but I would try to motivate the players to, to uh, maybe try and getting one of the chapter two quests under their belt before tackling sunblight but well it kind of depends on what the players want to do i can throw them you know you can lead a horse to uh, water but you can't make the uh, players necessarily do the quest uh, but in this case we know what they're going to do next which is going to Kirkonig and the unseen so last we did uh, by the way i am going to give them this information um, which is a general location of where the Lost Spire was, because this was the, uh, at the end of Mountain Climb, they, you know, I, I painted that cutscene, and we talked about this in last week, in uh, two weeks ago, crafting last session, about how I was going to do this scene, if I was going to do some kind of viewfinder or what, and I ended up using kind of magic, um, and I didn't try to, like, briefly, I tried to look up actual spells and be like, alright, what spells was he casting, but in the end, it's like, who gives a shit, like, just write, just construct this cutscene, magic is magic, whatever, um, you know, I put, I didn't put the arcane circle there. So Zon somehow tapped into that and maybe that, you know, changed whatever spell he was using. And he used an actual piece of 
Uh, Shardlin, I had it be like a compass, basically, where it was rotating around, and he was just searching for, like, okay, where is there, like, a mother load or a source or something of where this stuff came from? Uh, and it pointed him to what what is the Lost Spire of Netherol, which is a, a location in Chapter 2, which is where Dazan is actually found, uh, which I'll be redesigning that area as well when I get to that. But this was the dilemma, is that I wanted the players to have that information but not give them the literal location because I did not want them immediately gallivanting off there. I want to save that area specifically for Act 2 because, again, as I just mentioned, tons of content back in Act 1 for the Ten Towns region. So this was kind of the compromise where... I'm going to tell them the general location of where this is, but I'm going to kind of gently remind them, even if I have to, as the DM. It's not even, that's only 10 miles. I just went 9 miles. I need to put this further out then. But I want to try to stress the fact that going too far out is, is dangerous, um, at least without some kind of mount system. Maybe we'll do it like, do it like this, because I can put this where the fuck I want. Aha! The joys of hidden information. Um... And basically say that, yes, you can make it to Kevin's Cairn, but, you know, Dwarven Valley is generally, you know, run by the dwarves. So there's not going to be a whole lot of danger there. Um, so, but once you start exiting, you know, this area, can you see my mouse? Yeah. And really start going beyond into the tundra itself, it starts getting real dicey if you don't have some kind of mount system. And I want to remind the players, hey, you know, do things around 10 towns, um, get in good as marshals, and you will be given mounts which is kind of my way of soft doing like a, a faction. Uh, the, uh, what are they? The marshals, the, whatever they are, uh, the 10 towns marshals, they can increase that faction renown. And, um, sorry, my whole thing just froze for a second. You guys understand me? I think I'm still live. Okay. Just had a little minor blip. Um, and that way, uh, I can unlock rewards as they increase, which would this case be they gain mounts. Uh, they get some kind of maybe axe beaks or something cool. Um, and that would then allow them, it, it basically unlocks the ability to travel further out. It doesn't really, like, you can technically travel further. I'm not hard locking them, but that's kind of the way to clue in. That's the way that I can scale the area more appropriately and say here's your act one stuff in 10 towns do this stuff while you're tier one and then once you unlock mounts you can go further out and that's basically start entering into tier two that's kind of how i'm doing it i'm not sure where the freezes are coming from so i apologize for that hopefully the audio is still coming through at least um okay at least there we're looking at maybe 20 miles out so twice the distance over rough tundra so that's a little bit better so i might have i don't even know where lost fire was originally located but i put it approximately uh Back 20 miles from Care Conic, straight northeast. And same thing with Kelvin's Cairn. About 20 miles northeast of there. And basically I drew a big circle. <laughs> like like you would with a uh, an open world quest marker that was just like a radius. That way the players don't know the exact location. But um, they're at least going to be given some kind of a... Uh, you know, clue that like here is generally where this is. So maybe in the future, if they have some kind of lead or they just want to explore out here, they certainly can. But as a DM, if I need to, I'll remind them like, hey, this is not, you know, it's generally very, very dangerous to do that. What I'd also like to do is do a similar thing, but for uh, Celeste character, because what I forgot to do last time, because we were trying to just do this, get it done and, and going really late, was to have her Psy Crystal activate when they reach the top of the mountain. Um, because I've kind of been forgetting about that it's supposed to give a signal to it ascendant and generally draw them there. But again, 
don't necessarily want to bring the players there too early. Um, unfortunately, this area is actually pretty close to Sunblight, so I could definitely see them going here along with Sunblight, or maybe, and again, I can move Sunblight around if I need to, although as somebody mentioned, be careful with moving around because of the way the dragon moves, so I'll have to look into that. But I thought that maybe it's like a cell phone signal where you have to get up high in order to, uh, you know, get some uh, feedback from get get get, get some get some bars from your Psy Crystal. So I'm going to whisper uh, her and specifically say, hey, your Psy Crystal starts kind of um, basically doing somewhat what the Black Crystal did and, and sort of pinging this location. You're not sure why, but you feel kind of a pull towards it. And then I think, can I just show, I think I have to put it on the token layer and show everybody. Um, I don't think, is there a way I can just reveal a token for one player? I'm not sure I can do that. If I can, I would do that and literally just give it to her. Otherwise, um, otherwise, I'll keep it on the GM layer and just tell her. And then if she tells the whole party, I may actually put it on the map. Or I may just do this as a as a reminder to myself. But basically, I want to include um, a whisper to uh, her about uh, the fact that her side crystal is basically pulling her towards another quest, which is it ascendant. Now, in this one. I can go either way with, with them doing it in Act 1 or Act 2. Because of its location, they're probably going to do it in Act 1, which I'm separating Act 1 as being basically um, before Shardle and Dragon and after Shardle and Dragon, B, C, D, and A, C, D. Um, B, C, D, C. Uh, but because of its location, I they're probably going to hit it up around the same time they do Sunblight. Unless they go straight to Sunblight, and then I release the dragon, and they're like, oh shit, we got to go track the, the dragon down. And then they might leave it behind, and then technically it would be Act 2. So it just depends if they go there first or not. Uh, but, you know, I don't want to force their hand too much. I want to give them these locations, still try and create that open-world feeling with the caveat that, you know, we're, we're prepping week to week, and I generally know where they're going to go versus, you know, getting halfway through one quest, leaving and going to another quest. Like, that really doesn't make any sense pacing-wise. So that's overarching stuff. Uh, now we can jump into actual Kerakonic. So when we left off... Um, the players, I believe, are going to be making it down Kelvin's Cairn. They're going to go back to the base camp. They saved Paralu. They saved Garrett. Uh, and I think it hasn't been that long since... Let's see, am I keeping track of the time? It's in a different stock. Uh, so I'm keeping track of their long rests and their short rests. That one. I'm going to frostbite stats. And it honestly has not been that long... Let's see, we've had a long rest. Should do this by days. Alright, so we last long rested in session five, if you can believe that. Which means we that was in Termalane after the mine. So that was a long rest. And I'm I'm really keeping track of this for one real reason, and that's because how long has it been since the, they had the wolf encounter with Ravison? In other words, were the wolves able to go back to Ravison and talk to her? And are, are, does it make sense for them to have another encounter with them and with her? So that was on the road to Tourmaline, which was in session... Gosh. Three. Oh my goodness. And they have since uh, short-rested. They did the whole mine. And then they did, they did a long rest afterwards. And then they've short-rested several times. Well, they traveled, so they long-rested they long in Tourmaline. Then they traveled, uh, what is that, two hours, two or three hours to Kelvin's Cairn. 
They short rested a few times, and now they're making it back down the mountain. So presumably it is now getting close to the end of the day. Uh, if they wanted to, I would absolutely let them, especially when they've got Garrett now, who is the guide. They could just power through the last couple hours and basically arrive in Karakonig probably in the evening of still that same day from when they left Tourmaline. They never long rested at the mountain, which is great. I'm glad it paced um, that way. That also means it's only been like 36 Even though it's been like seven weeks of, of our time because <laughs> of the way the sessions have broken down, it's only been like a day and a half uh, in universe since since that wolf encounter with Ravison. So basically I was trying to figure out if I want to throw another encounter at the players. Um, and I'm interested in what y'all thoughts are about this because the pacing of a quest is like, okay, you're going towards the quest. You can have encounters to, to start chipping away at the character's resources. And then they go there. It's typically a dungeon or something, maybe multi-step stuff, including a town or something. Um, or, you know, searching for multiple random encounters, whatever it is. Uh, it starts eating up at the player's resources. And then once they complete that quest, how do you handle the falling action until they get to the next area or the next town? In other words, do you treat it realistically and say, okay, well, you know, you're going down the mountain. I'm going to roll for encounters. Or you're, you're, you're leaving the mountain and going to Karakonic. I'm going to roll for encounters. Even though the trajectory of the quest has basically completed and anything after this is just kind of like whatever, knowing that you're going to get a long rest in Karakonic, in our case, yes, you could still, you know, get so, uh, go down to zero hit points and still accrue another lingering injury, which the players all have three right now collectively, I believe. So that's still a possibility for danger, but it just feels like pacing-wise, like, all right, we're done with the quest, let's get back to town, let's rest up and go to the next quest. You know, that's really how it feels like. It doesn't really feel like it makes too much sense to just throw more random encounters for the sake of encounters, and, I, and obviously combat especially just slows things down. So if I were to do a, hey, remember the Ravison Wolf encounter again, I would probably lean towards more of a social encounter and not a fight this time. Maybe it's another wolf with blue eyes. I don't know. Um, but and the, only, and the only reason would be because they would be asking about the wizard, the wizard. And the players are probably thinking, oh, well, we we met you know we we found the wizard we know he's traveled somewhere and whatever and what the players would not know there is that that's not the wizard that uh that uh Ravison slash Oral is looking for uh she's looking for Ness Lantamir and uh, to some extent Valish Gaunt and trying to figure out like who has discovered Etherin um, now Dazan and the rest of the Arcane Brotherhood are basically working their way towards you know researching more about um. Uh, Etherin, and whether or not Oral knows about multiple wizards in there doing their thing, you know, is probably some concern, but not her immediate concern. The immediate concern is like, no, somebody did something, you know, that that made her essentially lock this place down in high security and shut everything down to a permanent night. So she is looking for Ness Lantamir, uh, which in my campaign is the one that's basically uh, her uh, picked up the work that Valesh Gaunt started and was able to discover the existence and confirm the existence of Etherin and, and its location. Or at least its general location, maybe not the exact. Uh, and then I still have to figure out later in the story how exactly does uh, Oral's Codicil work into that, where is Lantamir now, and all that stuff. I don't know. But right now, I'm just trying to worry about where the current Arcane Brotherhood are. Uh, and we know that Dazan is in the Lost Spire, and that Ravison is a uh, essentially an acolyte of Oral, 
and is searching for her in you know as a uh emissary of oral what i'd also like to do is have design in east haven as written which is he's being burned at the stake um and that's a shock because the players are like well wait a minute we saw him go northeast why is he down here and the other shock is that that's not really design that's going to be a clone of his because Zahn found a cloning machine <laughs> in the Lost Spire of Netheril, and it's cloning him. Um, and he has, uh, for whatever reason, a clone made it all the way down to East Haven. I don't know if I want to try to introduce more uh, clones or not. Um, I don't. I haven't decided how I want to do the whole clone thing yet, and, and what the deal is. Maybe that is the other way to treat it. Is that, as written in the book, that is the real design, and since the clone that's left behind. Which I could do it that way as well. Uh, I'd like to do a system of, and I've referenced stories about this, where the clones become more degenerate and mutated as the cloning machine worked. And of course, it does the classic, like the clones want to kill, you know, the original and just kind of take over, uh, and eventually ending in like a kind of the thing style monstrosity at the end. Basically, really turn the Lost Bar of Netheril into kind of horror build dungeon with these mutant clone things everywhere that'd be a lot of fun um and you know if we wait till the second act we can scale things up and make it more tier two and yeah random encounters don't have to be combat that's a good point nathan which is why yeah i'm thinking about the glowy eyed animal asking um you know kind of what they know as and, and again it's only been you know a day and a half since they first met with ravison but that might be just enough for her to send out another animal uh but the main thing i'm concerned about is that it's been you know six session since we checked in with Ravison and the fact that she's keeping tabs on the player so that time wise it would make sense to do something else and if you notice when I just went over earlier it's going to be a long time before we end up with another uh, travel sequence that's not on a trail because if we go to Kerkonig next then we're going to be going and doing the unseen then we're doing Kerdenaval which is on a trail then we're going to probably East Haven or Goodmead which is on a trail we may go back to Bryn Shander, which is on a trail. You know, it's all of this is on... And yes, you could have an encounter. I had that wolf encounter on a trail. But I'm just thinking it might take advantage of the fact that this is not a trail. And said so it's like five miles over the tundra, technically, to get from the mountain to Kerkonig. And it makes sense that I would have something, some kind of event there. Yeah, I'm, I'm liking the clone thing. Um, we'll talk about that, obviously, when we get to Lost Spire of Netheril. And because, basically, I'm making Tier 1 is about helping 10 towns and then it evolves into oh shit there's Dwerger here and they're about to unleash a weapon of mass destruction that's that's act one act two is going to be the search for the arcane brotherhood it's going to be hey what are these wizards doing in here what did they fuck up um what does Aurel have to do with all of this and basically all of that searching and discovery and it's a lot of rewriting and stuff on my part and then act three is going to be entirely um we need to go to the lost city of Etherin and either plunder it or stop somebody else from plundering it or whatever reason we've got and that's basically just Caves of Hunger and uh, Etherin as written. So basically that Act 2 is the one I have to do a lot of work on. But I have to know some of that information for, you know, Act 1 purposes. So uh, I'm okay with them going to Karakhan without a combat fight. But I will probably include some kind of cutscene about, yeah, the glowy-eyed animal of, um, you know, asking the players the same kind of questions. Just to, just to remind them, like, hey, there are, you know, this... Ravison person is keeping tabs on you via animals, and I don't know what kind of power she has. It would be fun if we had Ravison in East Haven instead of over in Lonelywood, and had her be 
and and really have East Haven going full on like Aurel worship. And I kind of tease the fact that whoever the speaker was, uh, Waylon, I think, was at that meeting in, in session two, and he was kind of on the cusp of being like, hey, we need to straighten up and and you know. He was he was starting to drink the Kool-Aid about Aurel is behind all this and we need to appease her. So it makes sense that by the time the players reach East Haven, they would be burning this wizard. Um because uh, you know, Aurel and the and the druids are you know blaming the wizards for Ooh, that'd be a good thing too. They're blaming blaming all wizards, and I could make this like be like a crackdown of like arcane spell casting. Um that's happening in East Haven and is is starting to spread to maybe the other towns. And that could be a tease for because that's one of their uh, one of their rumors and leads is uh, let's see I have to pop back to the landing page but I believe it was oral worship in town yeah oral worship in towns which I could do that in East Haven specifically and that would really help flavor East Haven in a lot more interesting ways if Ravison's actually uh, there um, but I don't want necessarily the parties to confront her but maybe I should allow that. Um, I don't know. I have to think about that some more. It'll be there'll be a couple more weeks till we get there because we've got uh, Kerr Conig and Kerr Denival first. All right. So Kerr Conig, uh, we're gonna let the players arrive. They can long rest. There's not gonna be a level up yet. I'm gonna keep them level three until I think they do the unseen, and then I'll probably have to level them up after that because that'll be another, you know, two or three sessions, and at that point we'll have been level three for a while. Uh, we've been level three for three sessions so far. So probably after the unseen, we'll level them up to four. And then I'll feel more comfortable doing basically a lot of the rest of Act 1 quest that I'm interested in doing, which is the Care Denival quest, uh, the stuff in East Haven, the stuff in Goodmead, and then possibly a combination of Karkaloke or even Idescendant. And at some point they would level up to 5, I think? During that, where is my character advancement? I've got notes for this. Um, yeah, so at some point in all of those, maybe after, you know, two two or three quests I just named, they would make it to five, and then at some point while level five, they would do Sunblight, is the idea. Sunblight would be level five, and then I would probably level them to six after completing Sunblight, and although the timing is weird for that, because I don't have it, they say they reach level seven after they deal with the Shardle and Dragon, so that might be a weird short, depending how they deal with the Dragon, that would be... Not many sessions for session six. Anyway, all right, the unseen. God damn it, I'm going to talk about this. So, as written, this is another one where they basically just get all the information from a single NPC, which is Trovis, which I like Trovis. I think Trovis is a fun NPC. Uh, where are you, Derek Koenig? This is uh, their first time they've really reached a very tiny, tiny town. The rest have been villages to... You know, larger towns, Bryn Shander and Targos both have walls, uh, and Tourmaline is still a very good-sized, you know, almost thought of it as like a resort town built into the mountains, very picturesque. Uh, whereas these, and those all have hundreds of people. The rest of these, the really tiny ones, the Bremens and the Goodmeads and, and, and the, both the Cares, only have like one or two hundred people, like very, very tiny little villages that are just, you know, stopovers, if anything. Uh, you know, the kind of one intersection towns. Um, and this is going to be their first real uh, meeting of that kind of place. Now, Karakonig is not super hostile to people, and, and Trovis is still a very good leader. And the players get a chance to come in and be outside investigators, which 
in, as written, is very disappointing because they just gain all this information from Trovis, which I guess I have to go to the actual quest section on the scene. But they basically said, hey, these items are missing from these areas. Uh, let's see. As they walk, Trovis talks about what has been taken from Karakhanov over the past three nights. A color-switching magic lantern taken from the local inn, a pair of goats stolen from the local tavern, a small stack of pearls carved into decorative beads gone missing from the stores of Frozen Far Expeditions. And um, essentially, if they go to the... Which one is it? Uh, the one with the lantern, the inn, run by the Shorad sisters, um, they talk about how they are missing... Uh, their lantern went missing. Let's see. Um, the only clue is a set of tracks leading in the direction of Kelvin's Cairn, which, awkwardly, I may have to change that because the players are literally going to be coming from Kelvin's Cairn. <laughs> so it would be weird to have tracks going that way, to have them not see the tracks as they're leaving. So I'll probably have to rewrite that slightly and have it be in a slightly uh, different direction. Maybe I should have it in tent now because the, the... What does the map look like? Let's see. It's still... Yeah, it's kind of built into a it's built into a mountain with a valley, so I definitely can't put that in town. Bit of a ways away. I hate that it's one square equals ten feet. Damn it, wizards! Give me five foot battle maps, you assholes. I may look online for a different map. I really hate hate these bigger maps. Um, I love the the picture of Trovis though. It's fantastic. It's just a retired adventure and a drunk. I may, I'm still thinking about a voice for him, but I really want to make him a fun NPC that players want to be able to work for and, and talk to. But what I'd like to do is expand the investigation part of this adventure. Instead, you know, Trovis starts talking about how, you know, people have, uh, you know, complained to him that things are missing, so he's kind of been patrolling the town, but of course he's got a drink in hand and he's a bit of a drunk, and I want to make him a drunk because he's, like, seen some shit. Like, he's a retired adventurer, maybe, like, all his friends died at some point, you know, all his adventurers, and he didn't quite make it to level 20 exactly, um, but he'd, like, seen enough shit and he just wanted to retire here. Uh, so he's a good guy, just kind of down on his luck. <laughs> And he hasn't been able to find any leads or anything because he's kind of a little bit of a fuck-up because of the drunk. And I want the players to be the ones to have to, you know, and, and they, they say, like, okay, these these people, these people, and these people all complain they were missing something. And then put it on the players to then go to those places, talk to those NPCs, figure out what they're missing, try to uh, see if there's any... Uh, correlation between the items that are missing and really do some investigation work and I wish some of that was written into this quest but it's really not uh, so I'm curious if any of you if any of you have run this if you've if you've played it like that and have any kind of tips or clues on how to run uh, a satisfying little investigation scene not to make this big complex you know series where the players have to have an aha clue it, it's basically just to give them a few things to do a few reasons to do some socializing some exploration and whatnot. Uh, you know, between a, a relatively combat-heavy adventure and exploration-heavy adventure, and bum around town and talk to folks, and then eventually that will lead to, you know, finding tracks somewhere. Um, I probably maybe need to have two or three different clues that would be operative. And, and really, what are the Dwerger stealing these things for? I'm not sure if it ever actually says. I think they're just trying to gather just whatever useful shit they can. Uh, and, and yeah, the, the idea is that it's invisible. It, Dwerger can go invisible at will, which is obviously really helpful for enemies. Uh, let's see. 
Characters wait until morning to find out. They find a set of fresh footprints left behind by a lone Dwarger scout. The Dwarger didn't enter any buildings, simply looked around the village before leaving close to morning. Footprints lead to a different set of tracks made by an ogre zombie pulling a dog sled. These new tracks begin where the Dwarger tracks end, a quarter mile outside of town. The ogre zombie waited all night for the Dwarger to return. The Dwarger hopped into the dog sled before ordering the ogre zombie to march. Alright, so it's cool. It explains kind of what happened. Any character identifies these tracks and succeeds on a wisdom survival check. Identifies the creature tracks as belonging to an ogre. Characters can follow these fresh tracks, which head toward the mountains, and then veer toward the Dwarger outpost hidden in the northeastern foothills of Kelvin's Cairn. That's doesn't say how far that is. But, I mean, there's little mountains and hills everywhere, so I can just put that wherever I want. As the characters get within a mile of the outpost, they discover the wind has erased the tracks they've been following, making it difficult for them to find the exact destination. For every hour the character asserts the foothills, have them make a wisdom survival group check. The group check succeeds, the characters find the outpost, the group check fails. They didn't find the outpost during that hour, but can try again. <laughs> so what's the point? They fail two of these group checks in a row, the characters have a random encounter in the wilderness, possibly during a blizzard. I would probably just have it be exhaustion or something. Although, I guess encounters would soften the players up. I'll decide on that. Uh, but there's not really any information about what the Dwerger are doing in this fucking town. I assume they're trying to find Shardolin and just gathering information about the town because they are feeding the information back to the outpost. And at the, at, in the in the case of Care Denival, there is a straight up abandoned inn where the Dwerger are are hanging out. Uh, and and they're like sleeper agents. They're they're ready to attack whenever the dragon attacks. And and supposedly, according to that chapter, chapter four, that's the case in a lot of places. There's hidden dwerger all over the place that uh, are ready to attack whenever the dragon takes off. So that could be part of it. And they're just gathering supplies. Obviously, they're getting the goats for food. Um, I wanna hint the fact that they are searching for Shardolin for sure, but also just anything useful, maybe um, you know, stealing just helpful supplies, like obviously Frozen Far Expeditions would have all kinds of supplies so they could be stealing that. I want to try to, you know, have it make sense that the, what these items are missing because that's the clues that the players are going to be getting and trying to figure out like who is doing this and what's going on. Yes, exactly, Nathan. I want to show that they're looking for, uh, looking for Shardolin specifically. Um, I don't think they find it here. Let's see, so there's only three locations, which is fine. I can use all three of them in terms of all three of them are looking for. Uh, all three of them have been hit by the the invisible Dwergar thieves. The hook, line, and sinker is the tavern. Which doesn't really have any good information. He gets his ale from the dwarves live in the valley at the foot of Kevin's Cairn. Uh, and that's pretty much it. Don't really have any information about the dude either. Keeps tabs, keeps on the table by the front door. Gives everybody one drink as a sampler, and then they keep trying to get more. Eglindar Glencore. Your name is Glen because Eglindar is a terrible name. Uh, Frozen Far Expeditions. This one I have to rewrite because I had Garrett come from here um, instead of from was it Targos? I think so. I'm gonna have uh, his husband is gonna be the actual proprietor. Which what was his name? Targos. 
Yeah, I have to look at the actual quest, don't I? Mountain climb. Uh, it's Keegan. So Keegan Velren. So I can have Keegan be uh, the basically replace Atness with Keegan, or just have Atness be. It really doesn't matter. <laughs> uh, somebody. And then uh, Garrett will be from there as well. So obviously you can put in a good word for the players and they'll be very happy to see him. There'll be a whole like nice scene there. Um, and then and then that would lead into uh, maybe talking about how they've been, they were robbed. Uh, and, and have they been robbed over time? Is this something that's happened? Or is it just a recent series of thefts? I think it's just a recent series of thefts. Let's see. Town has had some thievery troubles. Uh, no one's seen anything really. Just the other night, the lantern over the northern lights was stolen. That's a big one. That's kind of cool. It's like a mundane magic, or not a mundane, but a common magic item. I'm able to find the responsible, but I have a knack for this stuff. Talks about his adventuring days. So we'll go in. Talks about the short sisters. So I was taken from care. Kind of oh, the past three nights. Okay, so it's been. A recent rash of thefts. That's something I can work with. So when the players arrive, that's a fun adventure uh, quest hook too. The players arrive, um, and probably the first thing Garrett, because they have Garrett and Perilu with them. By the way, they saved um, one of the members of the original adventuring party. Uh, and Perilu will probably just want to leave the party, just be grateful. Her adventuring days are over. I think it mentioned mountain climb. Um, she's a kind cleric, so she would probably either settle down in one of these small towns and set up her own, uh, I don't know, church or cleric store or something, <laughs> um, a, a bookstore to Yandala, and, or, or go to a bigger town, but either way, I don't, I don't plan, unless the players really warm themselves up to her for whatever reason, I don't, I don't plan on having a big thing for her. Uh, Garrett, however, will obviously want to return back to Frozen Far Expeditions. It's where he lives and works with his husband. And the husband can then, either I'll use Atnes or Keegan, can then say, hey, obviously I'm so glad to have you back, but, uh, you know, we were robbed recently. Um, you know, I told Speaker Trovis about it. and He's been on the patrol, and apparently we weren't the only ones. There's been a, a rash of, of thieves. So he'll actually give the probably the, the initial quest hook because they've, that's just how it's going to end up with him, with Garrett going there first. Um, and then when the players go to the tavern, I can either have Trovis there or Trovis can meet them on the way. And then obviously at the tavern or the inn, they can talk about more, you know, so basically it'll happen pretty organically. There's only so many locations you can go to. And then they'll learn about these missing items, but I need to have the items make sense uh, and have it be an interesting way. So the players actually want to like keep track of what's missing. I don't know why the Dwargar are stealing a small sack of pearls carved into decorative beads unless they just like pretty pearls, but I think the whole point of Dwergar where they were very like, um, maybe we need to read up on Dwergar, but I feel like they were extremely functional um, to the point where they didn't have, like they didn't use color or art or anything like that. It was all very much industrial. It was like the extreme end of industrialism that I pictured Dwergar. Everything is like super functional. Matter of fact, everything's like gray buildings, like Borg or something. It's just gray uh, and and you know cube, and there's no kind of architectural design there. But it's it's very functional still, and they're still good craftsmen in terms of the 
quality, but it's not very attractive. Spell components. Do Dwerger cast spells? Zardarok is, has like Warlock abilities, but that's because he's a special thing, and I'm going to make that tied into his uh, gauntlet, not necessarily spells. I was thinking more of just general supplies, like, and, and maybe weapons also. I don't know if Frozenfar has, it says Adventuring Gear, which um, I don't know if that includes weapons or not. Maybe some rudimentary weapons. Yeah, the value. I mean, certainly pearls can be worth some money. Adventuring gear, I assume, is just anything that's in that kind of adventuring, you know, like acid flask and, and all those kind of dungeoneers pack and medical kits and all that crap that's that players can buy. Uh, maybe, uh, you know, obviously cold weather gear. Wager wouldn't necessarily like the cold. Uh, snowshoes. Um, maybe digging supplies, because they would be digging for Shardolin, because Shardolin has been found uh, in the ground. That's, you know, I tease the fact that the dwarves got it from the Dwarven Valley. Are Dwarger bribing people? <laughs> they are crafting a dragon, that is true. Um, a very functional dragon. I, what would they need to help make this? I mean, the, the, the dragon's basically already completed at, the, at this point in the adventure. I feel like it's it's maybe the finishing touches or something being put on it. Um, I definitely feel like them collecting, basically, it makes sense that they would try to be finding Shardolin, but they don't find it. Um, and they would be trying to find things that would help them find Shardolin and just general supplies, which would be food, um, you know, warm clothing and furs, that kind of thing. So it makes sense that the goats would be stolen from the tavern. Is it Tavern of Goats, it said? I think it said that, yeah, a pair of goats stolen from the local tavern. So I guess they, they've they got some, you know, and just food and drink, basically. They'd be, they'd be stolen from the tavern. Um, and then the magic lantern, because, you know, obviously anything that had any kind of magic to it, they would probably take just to, just to see if it was very useful. Uh, even though I don't think it's a real fancy magic item. Uh, but the players don't necessarily know that. So that would be the kind of things that they would be looking for and talking to folks about. And then that would lead them to... Uh, let's see. Supposed to be... Where do they find it? The tracks are outside of the inn, I think. Uh, and she thinks it's dwarves. Yeah, surprised. Uh, Allie th yeah, so they, they're aware of the tracks. Ali thinks the tracks were made by dwarves who live in the valley at the base of Kelvin's Cairn. She suspects the endless winter has made the dwarves desperate for food and ale, though she can't explain why the dwarves would steal the inn's lantern and other valuables. Oh, do I want to give that information to the players? That kind of makes Trovis more shittier, though, right? Like, they already, they're already aware of the tracks. Uh, they already think it's dwarves, and then Trovis just hasn't been able to follow the tracks that far. Well, Ali's surprised that no one in Karakana has seen or heard the dwarves remarking that a quiet dwarf is an oxymoron. That's, uh, that's kind of racist. Uh, no dwarf did this. Someone would have spotted him, caught him. No, there's something more going on. What use do hungry dwarves have for a lantern? Doesn't do anything useful other than light up the area with different colors. Um, yeah, hopefully the players won't demand a reward because they're the marshals. That should be part of their whole thing. Back to the back of the inn where faint footprints lead towards Kellen. Where is the inn? Inn is called what? The Northern Light. 
Okay. So, yeah, that makes sense. There would be uh, racks going here out of the inn. I could work with that. So... But I want the players to find that. Right? Like, it feels so lame to just have the NPCs be like, well, here's the tracks, go on. I mean, it's really just leading them by the hand to the quest. Yes, they are a military force. Forage, food, supplies, and plunder. I agree with that. When we ran through this, we were told they were small tracks. We all thought they were goblin tracks. I mean, that's the kind of thing that I would allow a, you know, a good survival check to be able to determine... Uh, which I don't think anybody would be able to tell dwarf tracks, but you could tell small humanoid for sure. That would probably be the best you could tell, which would be impressive if you could tell that. I need to leave clues, which obviously tracks are the best thing. Um, maybe one of the Dwergar left something behind that would also clue them, although I don't know what kind of things they would have, just like a dagger or something. Um, I don't have any way of getting them to the unseen that's not tracks, though. But maybe they just search around town. Unless the players come up with something that I haven't thought of, and then I just kind of run with that. Ooh, what if the players decide to do a stakeout? What if they decide, okay, where in town have they not hit, or, or you know, do you think they'll come back or something, and they decide to stake out these areas, and then I think that's a cool as shit idea, and then I as the DM have to then come up with a whole idea for, okay, another invisible dwarf comes along and robs somebody. That could be something the players could do. And that's, that's a classic way of catching thieves, right? You know there's been a, a rash of robberies. So you set up uh, some kind of a stakeout somewhere. Maybe you don't know where they've hit. And maybe I could come up with an area they haven't hit yet, so I could come up with a, a map there. Hmm. Some extra prep work, but I want to give the players that option. What if they're coming out of the ruined care? Is that too close? I don't think there's anything there. Oh, did they? My party staked out the town and they bumped into a psionic dwerger. That was crazy. <laughs> yeah, so the idea would be they would... And, and maybe they catch them and they don't because the person would still be invisible. And they could either try and capture them in a combat sequence and then interrogate the dwerger. Or they could follow the dwerger and that would lead to the unseen. And that would be a completely different scenario. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking. Laws. They, they they put something, maybe one of their magic items, you know, you hang the ember lantern up somewhere, and then you wait. That could be interesting. I'll need to prepare that, but that could be an interesting thing. Um, is it dumb to put their base in the ruined care? Is there... Because that'd be kind of a cool reason to use it. Maybe that's why there's this whole fucking fortress, like, underneath. If we actually go to this map, hate that it's one foot by... Or at one square equals ten feet. That's why you've got tiny, tiny tokens. Well, actually, the map doesn't really make sense for that, does it? There's this giant fucking valley in the middle. Holy crap. Is this supposed to be near Kelvin's Cairn? Is that the idea? 
Pulling the tracks. Yeah, out and a Dwerger outpost hidden in the northeastern foothills of Kelvin's Cairn. Dwerger outpost, a recent addition to the foothills north of Kelvin's Cairn. Town says north of Kelvin's Cairn now. Was carved out of a hillside, although the Dwerger are based mainly in Zardarok's Mountain Fortress. They come to this outpost to resupply and rest for searching nearby settlements for Shardalan. Okay. So it's an important Dwerger base. Hmm. Okay. So it is going to be further out. I don't necessarily have to put it in Kelvin's Cairn. I could put it just somewhere. Somewhere in the map where it makes sense the players wouldn't bump it on their way back. Uh, and then... I'm probably going to have to escalate this place and have it be more crawling with Dwergar. Because as written, I think there's only like five people in here. Well, why it's so big, too. You could just re redesign this to make it a five-foot square and it wouldn't really change things. It's such a big outpost for not a lot of Dwerger inside. Boy, yeah, that's a giant chasm right there. You know, the other thing you could do is put the crackling chasm as, as the way to get here. Which would be interesting. I thought about doing that. I thought about not running crack, uh, cackling chasm, I think. One in chapter two. Um, but then I thought, what if you use this as, like, the way to get to Sunblight, or the way to get to somebody else, and the fact that it's got some danger. But it really would make sense. Dwerger wouldn't want to, you know, be fucking around with gnolls or whatever I'm going to put in here. But that would be a way to, like, soften up the players, for sure. Um, and have it be that, you know, you enter one end of the chasm, and you get to the other end, and then you make it to the... Maybe the Dwerger is just invisible the whole time, so the gnolls don't fuck with them. Or I could put something else here. It doesn't have to be gnolls, but that would be an interesting thing to to force the players to have to get to this chasm area, and then it kind of makes sense because there's a bit of a chasm right here. If I want to make the Unseen a little more challenging, have it be two maps instead of one, that is that is a thought. I'm not even sure we'll make it to uh, this. I mean, it depends on how long the players take role-playing, how long I want the investigation to happen, if the stakeout happens, versus I want them to find the tracks. There's a good chance we may not have any combat, and we may just be in Karakonig most of next session. You know, a lot of it depends on how the players want to handle finding this outpost. I want to give them multiple ways to find it, because obviously this is a main quest thing, and I want them to be able to complete the quest. Um, and I want to reward them for, you know, making some good choices. So I need to put enough options in there, like, you know, you can find tracks that will lead here, but you have to be proactive about searching, you know, places that they've hit um, for those kind of tracks and follow those tracks. And if that's satisfying enough, then sure, you can find your way here. Um, or if it's more helpful to, you know, stake it out and think here uh, and, and and sit, you know, in town at night and watch for Dwergar, then you might see some invisible thieves running around and then you can either follow them or you could try and, you know, take one of them down and then interrogate them uh, in order to get information about this area and, and that will lead them here. You know, all all the things that they can do, I definitely want to lead them here and then run this as uh, basically a pretty straightforward dungeon crawl uh, where Nildar is one of the sons of Zardarok, so it's kind of a mini-boss. I want to absolutely, absolutely increase his hit points to probably near max, if not max. He's got some interesting spore servants because they've got one of those, uh, one of the Myconid things back at the fortress, and that's kind of his specialty is running those. They've got that ogre zombie, which they use as a... Uh, pack mule, essentially. 
uh, and then I probably want to increase the number of Dwergar here and maybe use Cackling Chasm as some kind of way to get here. Or if that's too much, I can just save it for something else. Maybe how they get to Sunblight or, or just not use it at all. Uh, but I thought that'd be interesting just because there is a kind of big Chasm right here. And they could transition from one map to the other. But I think that has been about an hour. So I think that's going to be all I'm going to be able to talk about for... Uh, crafting Icewind Dale this week. Uh, if you enjoy the content, please check out patreon.com slash roguewatson. Shoutouts to Platinum Patrons, Joe, Will, Tyne Dancer, Manuel, Wizard, Princess, Christopher, Thomas, Captain Mike, Adam, Aiden, Instant Lose, Roger, Stan, Nathan, Alex, and Gold Patrons, RPG, Papercrafts, Charming Grenade, Pretty Boy, and Yuma, Marcos, Did, Vicente, Gilberto, Dead Lizard, Lounge, Sam, Ross, Lumpy, Spuds, Jerome, Fatboy619, Sklenia, Nick, Farty McButterpants, Blood Angel, Borons, Baboon, Baboon, Nathan, and Fast Like a Tortoise. And we'll see all of you for D&D &D tomorrow night. Thank you.